DKS31 is powered by Cliff Central, uncensored, unhinged, and unradio. Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, a podcast and videocast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal, to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co. .za or tweet this show using our handle at Digital Kung Fu ZA or follow us on Facebook.com slash Digital Kung Fu ZA. I came across a really awesome stat the other day um, and it was talking about Africa having the highest concentration of young people on the planet. Uh, there are something like 220 million Africans between the ages of 15 and 24 and to put that in perspective, that is bigger than the entire population of Brazil. Of course, what I'm talking about is um, what is often termed or labeled the youth and and there's a current trend that I'm seeing in the market here, which is um, quite simply that brands, big brands especially, are all trying to capture the attention and ultimately the uh, consumer wallet uh, and a proportionate share of that wallet um, from a marketing perspective. Um, the reality is, however, that uh, the youth are not a easy segment to market to. So if entrepreneurs with a youth-focused proposition or um, product or service, um, it can be a, quite a tough nut to crack. So in order to get the answers, I reached out to Jason Levine. He is the re-founder, and we'll explain more about what that implies, of a company called HDI Youth Marketers. Um, Jason's been at the helm there now for almost a decade, and we really dive deep into the underlying dynamics of how to take a brand's uh, or business's product or service to a youth market. Um, this is a really special episode. We do cover a hell of a lot of uh, ground. Um, there's tons and tons of perlers that you can use right away in your business. So without further ado, enter Jason Levine. How's it guys? And welcome to the 31st edition of the entrepreneurial education platform that is the Digital Kung Fu Show. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and I'd like to introduce you today to um, a, a fantastic guy, uh, with a great story to tell us today. And his name is Jason Levine, who's the current head of Africa's leading youth insights and activation agency, HDI Youth Marketers. So Jason, thank you for your time today. It's great to have you in the hot seat, mate. Hello, Matt. Hello. Cool. So um, it's um, from what I understand, you were actually brought in uh, some years ago now to refound uh, HDI. Uh, what, what is the uh, context and backstory to that? That's a cool one. I mean, I think it was, I suppose, lots of, I mean, I'm not a professional manager, but lots of professional managers are probably brought in to assist ailing businesses. But the business wasn't ailing. It was, um, it was a 12-year-old business. It occupied its niche of youth marketing fairly well. Um, it was like a little, a little gem with lots of potential, but it, it was really small. And um, the founder of the business very visionary, had, had set it up really well, but um, <clears throat> was feeling quite tired. She'd already run the business for 12 years, so she was having a bit of burnout and she wanted somebody to take it to the next level. So I had done some consulting work for her before and she said, don't you want to take it on as your baby? And that took a lot of thinking and contemplating. <laughs> <laughs> and then I agreed, yeah. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about youth marketing. Um, and I think it's a very interesting um, sort of subject to cover in the context of entrepreneurship. Um, and so for our listeners who may or may not know <laughs> what we mean by youth marketing, in your expert opinion, if you were to sum it up, what does it actually mean today in the business sense? I mean, the state's millennial marketing is a big thing or understanding millennials and, and connecting uh, with them meaningfully. But that's a broader target market 
uh, or an older target market than we really mean when we speak about. When the Americans speaking about millennials, they're speaking about 25 to 35 year olds. When we're speaking about youth marketing, we're speaking about literally from birth to uh, to mid 20s. So kids, teens, and young adults who are either students or first time, second time jobbers. Um, and marketing to them is is creating whatever connections are meaningful between them and brands that in whatever way makes them like the brand more, buy it more, use it more, uh, apply for a bursary from it rather than from somebody else, uh, wash their hands more, drink less. Quite a lot of it is causal stuff. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when I look at um, the brands that uh, are out there today, um, it seems like pretty much all of the big brands especially are trying to capture the kind of market share uh, within the youth uh, sector. Um, what is driving this? I mean, is it purely a demographic thing or is it because of what the youth will represent from a consumer wallet perspective in the future? I think it's two things. I mean, I think people are taking them more seriously as direct, real consumers now. But I think as the world gets more and more fast-paced, more and more tech-driven, there's an understanding that that youth and young adults lead that charge, that they know lots more about it. And they're becoming more and more, I think they're becoming more important consumers, but they're also becoming more and more important influencers and opinion leaders. Mm. Like 20 years ago, some 24-year-old or 16-year-old who thought something interesting about fashion literally would have a following of their four best buddies, you know. No one, no, nobody in fashion would take you seriously unless you were... 30, 40, um, and, and had attended 25 different fashion weeks across the world. Now that's completely different. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting when you look at Africa as a, as a market because there was a stat that I came across recently, and I think I actually pulled it out of one of your reports, and we'll touch on the research that you do. Uh, so you can fact check me if I get something wrong here. But um, when you look at Africa as a market, right, there's something like 220 million Africans, right, between the ages of 15 and 24. That's not even going over to the 34 um, sort of age group. Um, And then if you want to put that in perspective, that is bigger than the entire population of Brazil. Uh, That's that's insane. Um, You know, so, but you mentioned that word influence. And that's what I want to talk to you about um, just for a second. Is it fair and true to say that the influence of the youth on markets is disproportionate to their economic spend? I mean, yes, I think it is. Um, but even the economic spend is growing and, and generally underestimated. So we measure it in South Africa. And here the, the direct spend of zero to 25-year-olds is over 130 billion rand a year. So the direct spend is large, but also the, the influence of, I mean, I think the, the influence of teens and older youth has for quite a while been, uh, been regarded, but it's not African. I mean, if you're speaking about Africa and South Africa, it's not African or not traditionally African to let kids have a meaningful say in the running of a household. Mm. But, but that literally has changed. There's been a huge shift towards centric, Eurocentric, Western values um, in the last 20 years. And, and kids are, are taken much, much more seriously in household decision-making. I mean, we've been tracking it for 12 years and the levels of influence now are double what they were 10 years ago. Is that what they refer to as pester power? It is. I mean, pester power has a, a specific meaning about, I mean, people have connotations of it, like of a foot stomping seven-year-old in a supermarket. Um, so, I mean, we speak about pester power only when we're speaking about really young kids, uh, lower primary school kids or kids in the first part of primary school. But yeah, I mean, preteens and teens, it's not even pester power. They have a very well-constructed, very well-researched arguments around purchase decisions that are often much, much more convincing than their parents. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically enough. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because when people say youth marketing, people go, they just tend to lump all of them into one big bucket and go, right, yeah. we're going we're gonna to try and sell to these guys and, and girls, of course. So you keep talking about these sub-segments, there's tweens, there's kids, there's um, young families even. Um, and so when you look at 
you know, entrepreneurs looking to kind of effectively market to, to, you know, these sub segments. I think it's my belief anyway, that, you know, that there's no one size fits all approach when it comes to really delivering a proposition to these sub segments. So um, in your experience, what marketing advice do you have for entrepreneurs who have a youth focused product or service? Yeah, I think probably your first comment is the, is the right one. If you're speaking about youth in South Africa and, and you're taking it up to 25 as we do, it's half the population. So to think it's one big homogenous like globule and then everything over 25 should be segmented into 12 little bits is crazy. I mean, obviously youth segmented by age or demography or psychographics or whatever is as important to segment. Hmm. But, but there's a couple of things that are true across both peri-urban township, urban youth, and and quite true across ages in terms of creating appeal. And that's some of those things are like the first and foremost one is understand that there are consumers and real consumers. And it sounds like an obvious one when you and I are talking about youth marketing, but I can promise you in the ordinary course of business, it's not, it's not really considered uh, first and foremost. They kind of see as somebody who might pester their parents, somebody who will be a future consumer, somebody who might mention a product at some point, but they're not necessarily taken that seriously as consumers and or researched and investigated as consumers. So that's the one thing. The second thing about youth probably over most other consumer segments is that they respond probably better than any other consumer segment to, to authenticity or realness. So, I mean, classical marketing in the 80s and 90s was very much about the rose-tinted view of your brand or product and the, the, the faker, better you could make it. Um, youth aren't interested in that. They're quite interested in brands having a, a backstory and an underbelly and some controversy. And they're, they're very keen in, in brands having an authentic appearance. The cool factor is also quite a critical consideration. Yeah, it is, but it is. But I think what we see as many brands undoing is that they're never ever going to meaningfully be in the cool territory. And, and youth, don't want them, they don't want a cool bank necessarily. No. They don't want, a, um, they don't want uh, a whole lot of product categories. They don't want cool cereal. They want tasty cereal and they want a, a useful, considerate bank. They want cool trainers and they want a cool cap. They want to, when they 21, drive a cool car, but they don't a whole lot of other product categories that think they have to be cool that actually just have to be either compelling or useful or, or considerate. And that's, that's a third point I was going to make is that probably one of the other universals across all ages and segments is that we use this expression of, uh, I believe in brands, I believe in me. We see a huge interest of young people in brands that genuinely, again, the authenticity thing, genuinely take an interest in them, in their community. They ask their opinion. They get down on the ground in their community. They do things that are specifically youth-focused. Sometimes you feel like they're, um, they might be small or incidental, but kids, teens, and young adults are, are very responsive to that stuff. Mm. Some would argue that um, the youth are very brand agnostic, um, hence your point that, you know, it's about having the cool products or the cool trainers or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and potentially, or perhaps that's a large reason why, because um, the whole time you were saying, you know, that when you're talking about the history of youth marketing and, and brands, um, you know, not taking them seriously is because they're almost irrelevant, in many respects in the, in the minds or the mind's eye of marketers, for yeah. big brands and institutions. Um, but I want to just take a quick detour to this, this um, theme of authenticity. You mentioned there were a couple of steps that, um, you know, brands or business owners could take to demonstrate how their brand is authentic. Um, and you mentioned the word community in Africa, especially community is critical component, right, of culture. It takes a, a community to raise a child is an expression that um, I hear quite a lot. Um, what is the role of community in youth marketing? Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird paradox because some some brands you specifically don't as youth you you don't aggregate towards because your your parents or your community traditionally have loved them and you're trying to break from that. And other other brands like I mean Koo's a great example that again has zero cool credentials if you're speaking about youth. But it's one of those brands that that has been like a, a universal in South African townships particularly, but also suburbs for years, where there's very, the, the levels of appeal between uh, a township homemaker who's buying the coup and the 16-year-old or 14-year-old or 9-year-old kids are eating the coup, there's no, no, no difference uh, in appeal there. So sometimes you don't want to wear the brand of trainers that your dad's wearing. That's like not cool. Um, but there's some some brands that that you actually can have a greater affinity for as youth because they're embedded in your community or your family. And family, I mean, you said it, our family and community are big. And we don't, across the world, we're seeing a much less rebellious, I mean, Arab Spring and things like that aside, a much less rebellious youth than has traditionally been the case. Youth are becoming more and more compliant and more and more... Uh, please must fall aside. Uh, <laughs> so, for those listeners who don't know, if, um, just can you just take a minute to explain what fees, fees hashtag fees must fall is? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a it's a phenomenon that really only has meaningfully raised its head in South Africa in the last eighteen months, which is um, students protesting, demanding, as as was promised to them. In fairness. Mm. Uh, free education or at least at a tertiary level. So university education that is cheaper year on year rather than more expensive. And those those protests have got quite quite vocal and in some cases quite violent. Yeah, um, which just goes to so that show that the, the youth are totally relevant. And if you disregard them, and that's interesting the point you made there where you say they're becoming less rebellious and more compliant, but if you give them a reason... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. To rebel. Like little volcanoes, you know, everything's cool as long as things are cool. But where there's an issue that they really, I mean, I think you, you think historically about petulant teens who will argue with their parents about everything just for argument's sake. It's happening less and less. I mean, I think teens are, are being, in the 21st century, across the world, including South Africa, more and more accommodated by their parents. So there's not a whole lot of reason for teen resistance. But when something really goes wrong at a fundamental level and you want tertiary education and you can't afford it, then, then they make their feeling felt. Mm, mm, mm. Just, um, just to go back to products and services, how do you differentiate a product or service as an entrepreneur in the eyes of the youth? I mean, I think the word compelling is one that we come back to over and over because it's, it's a better word than cool. Um, we, we speak to our clients about, first of all, being useful and second of all, being known. So, I mean, you can't be the sound of one hand clapping in the woods, even if it's the most brilliant hand in the world, but you also can't make a huge big noise about a product or service that's completely parity in the market. Everyone's got it. And we see this with the banks, for instance. The consumer value propositions in the youth space are all very similar um, none of them are really going out on a limb to do anything amazing necessarily for young people. And, and so they go round and round and round in circles with youth campaigns deciding what should we say, how should we say it, when in truth 
the, the real issues, there's not a lot to say. There's not a story. So At first all. of all, be useful and compelling. And secondly, um, then there's a whole lot of techniques about how to, how to tell your story. But lots of brands just haven't taken you seriously enough for the, the proposition in the first place to be useful or interesting. I think that word story is important because if you're going to, you know, put a proposition or product or service, or whatever you want to call it in front of anyone, you've got to have a good story to tell. You mentioned techniques. Can you unpack a little for us around what those techniques techniques are? Yeah, well, I mean, there's some really hackneyed ones in the youth space, which you'd expect uh, social media and content marketing or people think like, okay, it's, it's, Let's get a bit of social going. It's cheap. Youth are there. Social is tricky because for that exact reason, it's called social. (laughs) Um, So brands getting involved in social media uh, have to do it cleverly, interestingly, considerably. And lots of brands are starting to get that right. I mean, I I don't like really marketing practitioners who go around telling people how much they're getting wrong. There are lots of brands getting stuff right, but, but lots of our work as HDI is actually in the space um, of face-to-face engagement with consumers because it comes back to that whole thing of, I believe in brands that believe in me. And if you're in communities at a face-to-face level or running events or creating internships or sharing knowledge or literally sampling how to wash your hands if you're seven years old with a particular brand of soap. Those things have deep, deep consumer uh, impressions that we see huge commercial upsides to. Yeah, Unilever is a great example of that. Yeah, they've got both them and P&G for 10 or 20 years across the globe have been absolutely... Uh, committed or serious about being in communities, showing off their products to all ages, uh, including including really young consumers. Mm, yeah, I think Domestos was a, an ad I was driving in my car recently, and I saw an ad for D- Domestos, and it literally says, "For every Domestos Domestos product that's bought, we will donate five rand to some form of sustainability effort, which is the provision of you know clean toilets where there weren't any, yeah. and this whole thing." And I think it's such a powerful thing. And like you said, there's massive commercial upsides because what you're really talking about is the, this purpose-led brand, you know, and I think or purpose-led marketing because so many brands claim to have like a mission and a purpose, but in my experience, like very few actually live up to that. Very few. Yeah. And it's sad, especially in a continent like Africa. Yeah. I mean, I think to tell you the truth, I think the, the purpose led stuff is, is a tough ask because the brands we deal with, many of them are legacy brands that can't, I mean, if they've, if they've, they were built for commercial reasons. And if they try building purpose now, it really is retrofitting it. I completely agree. 21st century brands are the smart ones, the successful ones are, are purpose built and purpose driven. But even if you, even if you kind of back engineering a, a legacy product or service, I can tell you, if you want youth to believe in it and respond to it, it better have some level of proper proper investedness in their lives and their futures. They're interested in, in brands that add value and make things better. They're not interested in brands that tell a story to make you spend your last dollar. They want you to one way or another add dollars to their pockets rather than just sucking them out. Yeah. Um, I was actually interesting as uh, what you've just said as a segue into this next question, which is about incentives. So when you think of um, developing economies like South Africa, it's, almost all prepaid. Uh, There's very few contract um, uh, mobile phone users and so forth. And in my experience, it's always like, well, you know, we'll give the youth airtime or data packages and all that kind of thing. Um, What incentives do in fact work these days? I mean, is it still that, is it still that way inclined or is the market moving in a new direction? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's definitely moving for years and years, which is, probably right up until two or three years ago, we spoke to uh, where, where brands are trying to incentivize young consumers. We spoke about high frequency, low value, uh, literally items, freebies, giveaways, paired with uh, high value, low frequency. So exactly as you're saying, you'd have 10,000 
100 buck data uh, data vouchers, and then you'd have five iPads, whatever. And then that that strategy has worked really well for a lot of brands because young people are obviously into instant gratification and they like the idea of winning, winning something small quickly, but also standing the chance to win something big uh, along the line. And a combination of both has traditionally worked best rather than five cars. Uh, 22-year-olds think their chance of winning one of five cars is almost nothing. And then if you've got some odd thing of like, uh, yeah, you can win one of one million lanyards, there's very low levels of interest in that obviously. So, but the move that we've actually seen is much more towards, certainly in mid-teens and young adults, much more towards prizes that are likely to change their lives. So not stuff, um, but much more experiences. And in a recent test that we did in 18 to 25-year-olds about how, what can a brand do for you um, as an incentive, almost every answer had to do with, with basically giving them a gap. So a chance to... To, so it, but the answers were mostly around fund my studies or give me a work opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're speaking about young adults, the giving away 10 bursaries and 10 internships is, is a hugely compelling proposition. Okay. Awesome. Um, a couple of questions back, you mentioned social media. Now, when you look at the demographics of Facebook, for instance, there's definitely something of a youth bulge, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, when you look at, you know, the base of Facebook users. Um, and so, of course, that's a massive engagement opportunity, especially if you're putting media behind content or some form of promotion or whatever. Um, so, in your view, what is the role today of social media in terms of a uh, youth-orientated marketing campaign? I don't think it's dissimilar to the role of marketing. I think both in the real world and in the virtual world, the role of marketing is to bring something to the party that wasn't there before, other than just a message. Um, so if we're speaking about physical world marketing, I'm saying add value to the, their lives. I'm saying exactly the same thing in the social space. So content marketing is a, is a throwaway word, but we've seen content marketing campaigns where you literally bringing valuable, valuable content that is, is not like freely and easily available to young people. They respond well to it. Mm-hmm. If you're bringing them uh, the opportunity to attend things or participate in things that they wouldn't otherwise easily be able to participate in, there's huge reaction to that. But there's very low levels of response to, here's my X product or service at Y price. I mean, it's 80s style advertising that's just been dragged online or into social media and it's, it's past its prime. Mm-hmm. You can't really blame marketers for thinking like that though. Cause you think, okay, if I'm going to try and put this product in front of a teenager, they don't have a lot of, you know, spending power. So, well, Hey, why don't I just do a promotion and give them, I don't know, 20% off this flower dress for summer. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, that is one difference actually discounts and promotions. It's like a marketing tool from probably 150 years ago. And it's, it actually still, still gets a, uh, gets a response. But, but I mean, what I'm saying is it has to go just beyond basic product presentation. <clears throat> and the difficulty is even with the, the promotion stuff, be it sale pricing or, or value adds or giveaways, you can't just throw it up in front of young people on social media and hope they're going to respond. Um, either with those strategies, you have to spend a lot of money to embed that thing into the conversation so that you get a response. Or if you have less money to spend, you have to be smarter about how you embed yourself in the conversation. And generally, that's about bringing something to the party rather than just being the gate crasher at the party. Mm. How important is entertainment in terms of that particular job? It's hugely important. And I mean, we've seen so many, lots of brands, again, that have done it uh, fairly well in terms of little online movie series. And The thing about entertainment, though, is it's very, very I don't know, I'm about to say the word overtraded territory, but in the knowledge that in five years' time, the the amount of entertainment content that's around now is going to pale in comparison. But it's very very well-trod turf. And, I mean, if you're trying to create content against whatever, Vine, Netflix, uh, BuzzFeed, it's a hard job as a brand. You have to do do seriously cool stuff. Or what we generally recommend is you just have to do lots of stuff um, and decent stuff, not lots of 
crap, but lots of stuff that hits the mark. And it's uh, some of which, sorry, which will hit the mark. And I can tell you, it's really hard to get big brands, especially to experiment. Mm. They're very used to crafting one piece of communication and that's the piece of communication. And then they, they just, it has to hit because they've spent so long crafting and it doesn't work that way with you. Yeah. Just do 20 things. And if two of them hit cool, yeah, exactly. Because they have very short attention spans, don't they? And I mean, I've worked in this market for eight and a half years and HDI as an organization has worked in it for 20 years and there still is no Colonel Sanders secret recipe. Like there's stuff that we have been fairly sure would hit and is missed. And then there's stuff we've been completely surprised would be a hit. So you can't, um, yeah, you can't, the great thing about social media is you don't have to spend ridiculous amounts of money creating something, you know? So it's, it's a really, an, it's an experimental space. It's, it's not uh, making a commercial for, for the Super Bowl. So, so you may as well do some test and learns. Mm, mm, mm. You guys obviously do a ton of research, um, looking at not just South Africa, but you look at, you know, quite a few countries across Africa and even potentially globally, I imagine. But um, based on the data that you, that you see, uh, and that you have seen kind of evolve uh, as you do these, you know, sort of research oriented projects year after year. Um, what are some of the uh, top line trends and then opportunities for entrepreneurs in, in terms of the youth? Are there any needs that need to be fulfilled, problems that haven't been solved? Yeah, I mean, I think that a couple of things. Firstly is, is stealth. So I think we've spoken quite a lot about big brands and the fact that just the fact that they have quite rigid thinking stops them being stealthy enough to be appealing to youth in many cases. And entrepreneurial thinking is much more suited to that kind of stealth. It's quicker, it's more experimental, it's willing to take a chance. And that kind of thinking generally does, does better in youth. But also, uh, you know, in youth there's there's lots of first starter advantage. So um, you don't necessarily need to be bigger to be, to be better the way you do in B2B marketing. I mean, you don't, you don't have to be IBM. You don't have to be Microsoft. There's been amazing small, uh, small startups that have, have created enormous youth appeal because you stumble on them. They become part of youth culture. Word. I mean, it's every, every entrepreneur's dream, I guess. I'm looking at the teenagers will find it and it'll turn amazing. But you do you do stand a better shot than uh, with youth than than most other segments. Mm. And and I think their their needs are not that that difficult to unearth. Um, in South Africa, as I was saying, somebody any any entrepreneur who can meaningfully uh, give eighteen to twenty five year olds real work experience, a real opportunity uh, in the career space on scale, for instance, mm. would, be a, would be a complete hit. Okay, cool. Um, I'd like to explore the actual dynamics of the HDI engine room for a minute, uh, because since you joined, HDI has tripled in size. You guys have opened offices in Kenya, Nigeria, and you've also won several industry awards. Um, so what do you attribute uh, this growth to? I think part of it is is bravery. So, I mean, we can't walk around belting onto our clients about being brave and they're not brave ourselves. So, opening in West Africa, you know, at when we did, which was seven years ago, was it was still the wild west out there. Um, and it was quite brave. Lots of South African businesses that burnt their fingers badly in Nigeria in the two, three, four, five years before that. Most of the advice we took was just don't do it, actually. Mm. Um, and we did and it's, it's, it's paid off and East Africa, probably less brave, but, but yeah, I think a couple of things have stood us in good stead. The one is making quite brave, well-informed decisions. The other is, uh, we had a very, very tight offering before it wasn't initially very kids focused and it was really easy to extend our offering out on the basis of having a, a strong client base. So we got into teen and young adults quite easily. And we've extended our service set into out of just uh, school marketing, online marketing into 
the clinic and healthcare space, uh, the community space, the shopper marketing and, and mall entertainment space. So just, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like we've been amazingly visionary or anything, but there's some, some opportunities that were low hanging fruit and not so low hanging fruit where young people are all the time and able to be connected with, and we just weren't connecting with them in that space. So we've been brave about some of the geographic moves we've made. And then we've been, to tell you the truth, fairly obvious about some of the, the offering extensions. And then we've just been absolutely built into the DNA of the business before I even joined. And it's something we've managed to maintain is we've been absolutely obsessed with client satisfaction. Mm. Um, and that's not schmoozing and lunching and sending nice presents on their birthdays. I mean, we do that as well. <laughs> no handwritten notes on Christmas. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think client satisfaction these days is, yeah, it might've 20 years ago, it was about 80% about golf and, and lunches. Now it's maybe five or 10% about that. And it's 90% about delivery on, on what we've asked you to do, but also, coming back with suggestions, recommendations, insights around things we didn't even, we hadn't even, even thought of. And the nice thing about obviously operating in such a niche and well-defined space is that you can understand it really well and then come to clients with opportunities and insights and, uh, and things that they would never really have stumbled across themselves. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about competitor sets because when I look at the market, I'm like, well, I only know one youth Great. Keep it that way. <laughs> and there are no competitors, guys. <laughs> uh, Not even the clients themselves. <laughs> it's a fairly niche industry worldwide. Um, in the UK, there's Liberty, there's Wire Pulse, there's a couple of well-established players, and in the US, there's a couple. But in South Africa, on the insight and research side, we've got quite a lot of competitors, obviously, because some people specialize in youth research and some and, and there's lots of general service providers in, uh, in research. And on the activation, marketing, and connection side, there's a couple of uh, other youth players, some smaller guys, uh, youth dynamics, there's some young startups, there's some guys who are very active specifically in the student space but not in the kid and teen space. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's quite unusual uh, locally and internationally to have a bespoke offering that does insight and research, strategy, and then – activation and marketing on a, on a, on a large scale. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you pull off a successful activation actually? We have, we have a, uh, an expression called memorable for life and it's really a yardstick. We try and hold ourselves to, if you're connecting with an audience um, and, and obviously this gets tough to do on, on a budget, but to make an event, an experience, an engagement, a roadshow memorable for life is, is something we want to do. I mean, we don't want to be forgotten a minute later or a month later. And the good news is if you're working in youth, it's much easier to do for a 6 or a 16-year-old than it is for a 36-year-old, I can assure you. <laughs> so, I mean, part of it's about the razzmatazz and the spectacle of whatever you're doing. And the rest of it is, it's, it's, it's about the stake and the sizzle. So, but there also has to be something useful in, in, in whatever the activation or the connection is. What product are you showing me that's new and interesting? Is there freebie? Is there razzmatazz? Is this, is this targeted to me or is it speaking about something that's of interest to 14 to 18-year-old girls and I'm a 19 to 25-year-old man or whatever the case. The case. Mm. So part of it is just, it's not rocket science. It's about positioning yourself in the right space. And sometimes if you're not expert in it, it's quite hard to get into those spaces, universities, communities, um, shopping centers, youth social spaces, be it online or offline. Um, so getting yourself in, right, in the right space, then having some, having some steak and doing it with sizzle. Yeah, yeah. You want the salad leaf and the meat and potatoes. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, two, two, uh, more questions, mate. And then I want to, I don't have any questions from the community, unfortunately, but, um, I want to just touch on where you're going next. But, um, so we're talking about rapid growth and all this kind of thing. And obviously what you need to sustain growth in business is obviously making sure you have the right people. Um, there's a term that I love, which is, um, slow to hire, quick to fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, 
what have or what advice do you have for um, entrepreneurs in terms of ensuring that you always have the best people possible? Um, I, I think your comment about the recruitment process is important. So uh, for a long time, we were too hit and miss with recruitment. We, we, we did it too hastily. Um, we did it a bit, um, a bit flakily. So we do recruitment really quite thoroughly. But it, the truth is, no matter how well you recruit, unless your own internal proposition is compelling, I mean, you can get stars and then stars are attracted to other stars. So um, unless internally you're walking the, the talk, they leave within six months. So we... The business had a great culture when I joined. It really, it was this great mix of professionalism and being really driven about business success, but also really great on the soft side and caring about our clients and caring for young people and caring for the people who worked in the business, making that happen. And, and that's something we've managed to maintain. So the culture of the business is really magnetic to people. And we even have people who leave the business and then miss the culture so much that they come back. Um, and then we have a, I think, certainly for a small or medium-sized agency, a really, a really good incentive program. Okay. Both financial and non-financial incentives. So it's literally a 10-tier structure of, apart from salary remuneration, how you can even get, how you can get either wealthier or happier working at HDR. Awesome. So you have especially polarities there, I guess. So you could choose money or happiness. So I suppose that's work-life balance or eh, chasing the yeah. promotion. <laughs> certainly for, in our business, um, the average age is about 26. So happiness generally is more money. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> um, right. So in business, obviously, we all have to make tough decisions. But um, what's been the toughest decision for you? Uh, at HDI, when you look back at everything, what's been a, a real perler for you? And, uh, you know, what have you learned uh, in the process of making that decision? Uh, I think <clears throat> yeah, there's been lots of like daily operational decisions that have been tough. The people decisions are always the hard ones. The, the, um, the people who aren't working out and, and exiting them from the business are generally the hard decisions. But probably the hardest of my career at HDI and my career to date is the decision I've made a little while ago and I'm busy acting on obviously, which is exiting the business. Okay. Um, so I had originally signed on to HDI, um, in quite an entrepreneurial capacity, very low fixed remuneration. I was in it for, for growing the business, making it do new and interesting things and taking a slice of that pie. And mm -hmm. And that was pretty much a three-year commitment, which I extended to five years, which I extended to eight years. But I pretty much agreed to myself that um, after the eight-year mark, I was going to be looking for the next challenge. So now I'm at the eight-and-a-half-year mark, and I've called, it, I've called it quits, and we've put a succession program in place, and there's a great new team who are going to be taking the business forward. But it's really hard to, to leave behind a business that has become all but your own. Um, so that's probably the... Slight difference between being a founder and a re-founder. It's really hard for a re-founder, but it's exceptionally hard for a founder yeah. to work out of a business. So, yeah, it's a business that's doing really well um, commercially and in terms of the projects we're doing and in terms of how the, the meaningfulness of the work that we do and the way that clients appreciate that. So if you're on a good wicket, it's really tough to walk away from it. Mm. Um, what's next for you got so under your skin where are you going tell us what well, do you want to promote the digital kung fu platform is all yours <laughs> in some ways I'm very glad I don't have that answer yet but I don't have that I was very disconcerted about having not having that answer but what I've decided to do is uh, I'm tailing out at, at HDI at the end of September and then I'm definitely taking the rest of the year off so good man uh, there's a lot of, I've worked, my career has now been 22 years long. So either I'm in the middle of it or probably a little bit further along than the middle of it. Um, <laughs> we won't tell anyone though. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very rare in, in a career that you get to take two or three or six months out of it. So I'm going to take some time and do a reset. There's some stuff that I really 
want to do. But I'm starting to have the the internal discussion about passion versus purpose. So I've been very purposeful in my career and I've worked in um, positions that had definite purpose and could make a difference and could excite me. But I'm not 100% sure that any of them yet have been a deep-seated passion of mine. And that's, again, I think is the difference between a founder and a re-founder. As a founder, you're very likely to start a business that is your passion. Um, whereas a refounder takes on businesses that they can be purposeful or passionate about. So, so yeah, I'm going to spend some time learning, rejigging, and uh, and maybe hunting down what I want to do with my passion. Okay. Well, it's interesting that you raised that uh, because there's a um, piece of advice I was given once. It was like, if you're going to start a business, start a business that's close to how you make your money. So, for instance, if I was a... Or in your case, I guess, if you were a youth-focused marketing expert, adjacent to that should be the space that you occupy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, uh, what I'm going on to now will definitely be in the marketing space and it will definitely be in the space of early adopters because, I mean, working in, in youth marketing in Africa, obviously I've become very well-versed in youth marketing, but I've also become very well-versed in in early adopters of, of propositions, which youth almost inevitably are. And I've become very well-versed in emerging markets and doing business in emerging markets, which is stands in good state for doing business anywhere that requires quick decisions in a very erratic and fast-changing environment. <laughs> so I'll be looking to, I think I'll be looking to exercise those two skill sets in whatever I'm taking forward from here. Awesome. Well, excited. I'm just uh, chatting offline about a little proposition for you. <laughs> oh, good, yeah, I wanna, I'm bursting to to let everyone know that I'm not allowed to say anything yet. I'm being pushed, <laughs> I'm being pushed by my mentors and um, I'm going to do it. I'm thinking I'm like 80%. You know, when you're like, you're not, you're just not quite there yet. It's not about motivation. It's just flipping that switch because you know once you do it it's going to be a shitload of work a lot of commitment a lot of time uh but it's yeah. very very exciting so i'll, I'll uh, i'd love to bounce your uh sounds exciting yeah it does it's going to be awesome so i'm uh, sorry guys you're gonna to have to wait <laughs> <laughs> okay last part of the interview jason and i'll let you get back to <clears throat> living your life <laughs> all righty so um if you could put the hdi story onto a billboard what would that billboard say? Um, it would probably say young hearts, brave minds. So it's been a kind of payoff line or byline or mantra. Um, it was written, we didn't self-author it. It was written for us by an, uh, an agency. But it was so, I mean, at the time, it was such a cool way of framing it because it's exactly what we were trying to do and it's exactly spoke to like the the essence of young people this thing of being youthful youthful in your head and and brave in your heart um and that's what we've done i mean that's what the last eight years are about there have been this amazing journey of of great ideas and clever thinking and interesting thinking and exploration and then some brave action mm-hmm. okay um what do people never ask you that you wish they did <laughs> hmm. People generally ask me a lot. Uh, it's probably something I was talking about earlier. Lots of people in youth marketing ask about how can I connect with or convince youth of something, but very, very rarely do people sit with us in a meeting and say, What can we give to youth? What can we bring to the table? It's always a the point of departure is so often about what can we scoop off the table. If they're meaningful influencers, if they're useful consumers, how much can we fleece them for? And I think it's, we managed to swing them around that the best way of creating a, uh, a meaningful consumer out of them is adding value to their lives. But not many people come out of the gates going, right, how can I make six to 26 year olds lives better? Yeah. Yeah. That's one question I certainly never hear. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So um, next one for you, what problem do you face every day 
that uh, nobody else has solved yet? Um, I think most people come to us for what is the perfect way of connecting with young people. And the difficulty with, with being early adopters as young people are is that that answer changes week to week and month to month. So I think that's what's excited me about this part of my career is that an answer that was 100% on the money three years ago is, is irrelevant today. Like um, people are now doing, your mother's now doing on Facebook what you were doing three years ago and you've moved on to Snapchat and the trainers that were the hottest thing ever two years ago, you won't be seen dead in now. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the interesting thing about youth marketing. There's not, there's great ways to create meaningful long-term connections, but there's, it's not, I don't, maybe it's you, maybe it's marketing rather than just youth marketing. There's no, the search for perfection is, is irrelevant. It's, you're never going to find it. It's not worth looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've never actually, for some bizarre reason, never actually asked you this, but are, do you have a family? I don't. I mean, I have a partner and a dog and I have uh, four godchildren and two nephews, but I don't have kids of my own, no. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you how you balance work-life family then. <laughs> no, geez. I mean, even if you don't have a, a, a family that involves kids, uh, work-life balance is, has been tough. I mean, HDI is a really hard-working um, environment, but the cool thing about cool thing about it is youth is like rejuvenating just being around young people and swinging by and activation and seeing what's going on or going into township school and seeing a roadshow that's happening that morning. That stuff really energizes you for, for the day. Mm. And you also have a actual, actually here's a story I need to tell you. Here's a story. So I, there's a park down the road, right? So I've got two German shepherds. So I walk them down there pretty much every morning. Otherwise they go spastic in the evening and I don't have a life. But, um, <laughs> so one of the women that I keep meeting there named Cheryl and her son Valentino is on the board of HDI. Oh yes, he is. Yeah. Oh, I know Cheryl well. So we, I mean, the thing Matt's talking about is we run a program called Junior Board of Directors. Um, and geez, we've run it for about 18 of the 20 years of the business. So we, we appoint a board of kids, a board of teens, and a board of young adults, and they, they act as advisors to us. So they're literally notional directors of our business. Mm. The Valentino is one of the kids who's been – they're only allowed to serve one term, so one year, and then in exceptional cases, we roll it over to two years. And Valentino uh, was on junior board as a kid for two years and then was off board for about two years and then reapplied because he was now eligible for the team board <laughs> and got on again as a team. So he's been a very long-standing member of our board, yeah. Awesome, yeah. So I thought I'd share that one with you because she was like, yeah, so I've got two kids. One's Valentino and he's on the board. I was like, of oh, what? It's a company. He goes, yeah, 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 a company. Which one? HCR. I was like, no shit, really? <laughs> Yeah, it's a great program. We get so much out of it. They they have an amazing time. They develop so amazingly. It's it's been such a a valuable business tool, but it's also just such a cool thing to be part of the junior board of directors. Yeah, I wish she's amazing. Just don't make them wear a suit. We <laughs> <laughs> do for photo shoots. It's like the obvious and expected thing, and we've definitely done it. But it's not the main part of their duty. Yeah. and no cigars or whiskey. Yeah, no. <laughs> awesome. Keep away from the young adult ones, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, so when you hear the word successful, who do you think of and why? Um, yeah, I probably start. I mean, I think we're so overwhelmed in tech that, that the first guys who spring to mind when you said that are definitely uh, probably tech premiers. So, I mean, I. Elon Musk, not necessarily tech, but probably the most admired because it's clever business thinking, but it's also clever world thinking, planet thinking, sustainability, future thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably don't. I probably don't admire Steve Jobs as much as he's generally admired. Um, I think he's one of those guys who was super visionary and then super smart about surrounding him himself with with uh the people who could who could execute uh 
the vision and very, kind of, I think very um, explosively uh, in many cases. <laughs> um, yeah, Alibaba is, I think, an amazing success story. Jeff Bezos, I admire. Um, yeah, and then there's, I mean, locally in South Africa, it's hard to be a South African and certainly a contemporary South African and not admire Nelson Mandela like at a humanitarian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when I say the word punchable, who comes to mind? <laughs> uh, between eight and 80 um, national, provincial and local government officials. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm sure lots of people would say this as well. The guy with the yellow, the yellow hair and the red face. Um, I, I'm trying to really just divorce myself now from the American presidential election because it's so so overdone and over talked about, and mm-hmm. going to be what it's going to be anyway. But I just think Donald Trump is a despicable human being. Yeah, funny. Every for the last five times I've asked, I've asked those last two questions. The answers are always the same: Elon Musk and Donald Trump. Oh, <laughs> it's wow. crazy, man! <laughs> Absolutely nuts. Anyway, but um, two more questions, mate, and then I'll let you go. Advice to yourself as a twenty-year-old: If you could go back to yourself in the time machine and give yourself one piece of advice about business, what would that be? I think I worked my ass off in my 20s and that would be some advice I'd still give myself. Uh, Work your ass off. But I would say definitely engineer your life. And it's hard in your 20s to take big chunks of break in that that period to to travel and not even necessarily explore the world, but explore yourself and explore things. So, yeah, my advice would be max it out. Like work work like mad to learn as much as you can and get as far in your career as you can, but then build in like really, really proper breaks to to travel and and see things that have got nothing to do with your career. Yeah. I think it's bloody great advice actually. Um, And then last one for you, you're obviously moving on uh, to your new entrepreneurial foray, whatever that (laughs) might uh, look and feel like, but um, what, what is your why going to be as an entrepreneur? Hmm. Well, I guess it's the, the passion that I'm, I'm busy exploring, but I will always in, in this career, it's being able to go into a workplace where you, working with ideas and amazing people to, and it's hard in marketing to come up saying and make the world a slightly better place. Um, but it has been something we've been able to do in the business for the last eight years. So yeah, it'll, it'll always be about that. It'll always be about ideas. It'll all be, always be about growth and success. And it'll always be about people and using those three things to make the world a slightly better place. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, Jason Levine, thank you so much for your time today. That concludes your, uh, <laughs> your interview in the hot seat. Uh, but, it, but it's been uh, immensely valuable to have your expert opinion on record. And um, yeah, very exciting times for you. Uh, enjoy the rest of the year off. And I'm sure it's going to be uh, an incredible 2017 for you. Yeah, thanks. I'm so looking forward to it. Cool, buddy. Uh, All righty, so I'll let you go. Thanks so much for your time, Paul, and uh, enjoy the rest of your night, eh? Thanks, Matt. Cheers, eh? This is just a quick note to all of our listeners who have not yet signed up to join the Digital Kung Fu community. All you need to do is head on over to our website. That's uh, digitalkungfu.co.za. Plug in your email address, and we will provide you with some free training and a whole bunch of other products and tools and services to really help you progress on your entrepreneurial journey. So until next time... Keep hustling with Digital Kung Fu. Remember that the Digital Kung Fu Show is now on iTunes, so head on over there now and leave us a review. You can also catch the Digital Kung Fu Show on player.fm, Stitcher, and cliffcentral.com. Thanks for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. If you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business, then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za. 
Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients, Haiku, went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.